You call your children in from the yard. Their names are bloodshed, no mercy for you, not my child. You look over at your wife. She's home briefly after running away with another man. The neighbors whisper, what strange names he has given his children. You point out to them that they are the ones who will experience the bloodshed, the no mercy, and the sense of not being children. They whisper, I wonder how long his wife will stay with him this time. You remind them that they, like your wife, have run away from God, their husband, time and again. You are Hosea, a prophet in Israel. Your life, disaster though it is, is a picture of God's good character to a stubborn and sinful people people, shortly before God's judgment falls on them. Hosea writes as a parallel of Isaiah, except he prophesies mainly to Israel, not to Judah. Hosea warns of Israel's sin and God's coming judgment, yet he also holds out hope for God's future deliverance and restoration and reuniting of Israel and Judah into a people for God himself. What is Hosea's message here in these first three chapters? God faithfully loves his faithless people. God faithfully loves his faithless people. We see this point made in chapter 1, verse 2. The Lord speaks through Hosea and says, Take to yourself a wife of harlotry, have children of harlotry, for the land commits flagrant harlotry, forsaking the Lord. God's faithful love is demonstrated by Hosea. Hosea marries a woman of fornication or harlotry or adultery. Hosea marries her knowing some of her kids wouldn't be his and she would keep running away from him. It is possible that the text is merely writing in short form, but it is interesting to note the contrast between verse 3, she conceived and bore him a son, and verse 6, she conceived again and gave birth to a daughter, and then also verse 8, when she had weaned the daughter, she conceived and gave birth to a son. We see very clearly in chapter 3, he has to go redeem her out of slavery into which she has gotten herself in her pursuit of other men. And so it's quite possible that only the first of these three children belong to Hosea. Hosea kept pursuing her, even as God pursued Israel. Chapter 3, love her, even as the Lord loves the sons of Israel, though they turn to other gods. And so in this, he pictures God's faithful character. God does all, or Hosea does all these things as a picture of God's love for Israel. Though Israel kept unashamedly running away from God, just like Gomer ran away from her husband, Hosea. He marries a woman that, according to the law, should have been put to death for her sin. And yet he lives in a day in which people aren't following the law at all. He marries her knowing the shame and the impact it would have on his reputation, yet he does so because God requires it of him. And his life presents this vivid picture of God's relationship to his people Israel. There are people who have tried to redefine the plain sense of the text 
in an attempt to make it out that Hosea's life was easier, they'll say things like, oh, well, Hosea married her not when she was actually living in an immoral way, but when she just had tendencies to living in an immoral way, or when she was contemplating it. And the reality is that's not what the text actually says. It says, go marry someone who's living in immorality because the land is consumed by immorality and spiritual unfaithfulness to their God. So this was a hard thing that God asked of Hosea. And yet he does it in obedience to God as one of his prophets. Israel's faithlessness is demonstrated by Gomer and listed out in terms of Israel's actual sins. Gomer is a woman who is living immorally. Whether that be in connection with pagan idolatrous worship or just in general living in an immoral way, Um, either of these would have served the purpose of the picture God was trying to give to his people. Like Israel, she kept doing these acts of immorality. Chapter 2, verse 2, it says, Contend with your mother, let her put away her harlotry from her face and her adultery from between her breasts. She kept doing these things and chasing after these things. She did it for payment, Verse 5, her mother has played the harlot. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread, my water, my wool, my flax, my oil, and my drink. So over and over again, repeated sin, very clearly, simply for the purpose of receiving payment from her lovers that she felt was providing for her needs. She goes back to her first husband when life gets hard in her interaction with her lovers Verse 7, she will pursue her lovers but not overtake them as part of God's judgment on her. She will seek them but not find them. Then she will say, I will go back to my first husband for it was better for me than now. Note the parallels to Israel's cycles of behavior in the book of Judges and then even now in the time of the kings. In Judges, what would they do? They would pursue idols. God would allow another nation to conquer them. They would be oppressed by the nation for a time. And then they would say, God, deliver us from the nation. God would deliver them by a judge. And then they would go back to their pattern of sin. In the same way, the people of Israel in God's day would face different things like plagues of locusts or being conquered by uh, nations around them or whatever else. They would sometimes turn to God briefly for a time and they would go right back to their pattern of sinning. Notice the insult to God and to Hosea in the attitude of both Gomer and the people of Israel. There is this implication that it was the sin that was providing the the food and the money that was needed for life. And it says that uh, chapter 2, verse 8, she does not know that it was I who gave her all these things and lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. And so, in her mind, it is her sin that's providing for her needs, but God makes it very clear that he's the one who's provided for his people, Hosea is the one who's provided for his wife, and then those things are taken away to show that, no, these weren't your doing to begin with, they were mine. Gomer gets into such a terrible state that Hosea has to buy her out of slavery. We see this in chapter 3. Verse 2, I bought her for myself 
15 of silver and a homer and a half of barley. Hosea kept pursuing her, though, even as God kept pursuing Israel. Gomer is thus a picture of Israel's unfaithfulness to God when she kept running after various idols instead of her God who loved her and cared for her and protected her. There's lots of application we can make from this first idea. Let's keep moving and see, secondly, that not only did God faithfully love his faithless people, but God faithfully loved his faithless people, though he judged them. We see this in chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. God's judgment is evident in the names that he commands Hosea to give his children. Verse 4, name him Jezreel, the son, the oldest of Hosea. Name him Jezreel, for a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the bloodshed of Jezreel. I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. This verse is a little bit difficult because in no place in the Old Testament does God condemn Jehu for his zeal in wiping out the house of Ahab and all of those who perpetrated idolatry and enslaved the people of Israel in the worship of the Baals and various other pagan gods. And so in context and the, the word that's rendered punish here would also allow it, the sense is probably better something like visit or bring upon the house of Jehu the bloodshed of Jezreel. In other words, it's not I'm punishing you for wiping out Ahab and his family. It's I am punishing you for worshiping idols just like them and thinking that you would be spared the same fate that I used you to bring against them if you did the same things. They worshiped idols, Ahab and his family. So Jehu, I brought you in and you wiped them out. But now, Jehu, you and your descendants, you have worshipped idols. Now another is going to come and destroy you, and you're going to be visited by the bloodshed of Jezreel, even as you were my instrument of visiting it upon the family of Ahab. We see this word Jezreel in verse 5 and 4, and also in verse 11 at the end of the chapter. And then at the end of chapter 2, this idea is um, repeated a number of times here uh, as a reminder of this idea of bloodshed that is going to come upon the people of Israel because of their idolatrous worship in rejection of the true God. So the first, son, first child of Hosea is Jezreel, bloodshed, death, destruction. The second child, Loruhama, we see this in verse 6, a daughter has not obtained compassion, no mercy for her, something along these lines. It says, I will no longer have compassion on the house of Israel that I would ever forgive them, but I would have compassion on the house of Judah and deliver them by the Lord their God. God would not turn aside his judgment on Israel, but he would show compassion on Judah and deliver them for a time and eventually. But the people of Israel have rejected God time and time again, and so for them there is found no mercy, no compassion from God. And then a third child, another son, Loami, 
not my people. You are not my people, and I am not your God. Again, their rejection of God over and over again, their refusal to walk in God's ways. They were not acting as God's people, and so he was not going to be a God to them for a time. So God's judgment comes visibly in the names that Hosea gives to his children. God's judgment comes on Israel, Gomer, because of ongoing adultery. We see this in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. If this continues, I will strip her naked and expose her as on the day when she was born. I will make her like a wilderness, like desert land, and slay her with thirst. I will have no compassion on her children because they are children of harlotry. If her adultery continued, it would be exposed, and all of the gain that it had brought would be stripped away. God would make her way hard. Verse 6, Therefore I will hedge up her way with thorns, and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. So there's this increasing escalation of God using tools like shame and difficulty and then deprivation is the next one that we're going to see in order to purge the people of Israel of their love of other gods even as Hosea goes to increasing lengths to purify his wife Gomer of her pursuit after other lovers. Because Israel, because presumably Gomer as well, attributed her wealth to her lovers instead of God, God took away the grain, the wool, the flax, and the wine. We see this in verse 9. I will take back my grain at harvest time and my new wine in its season. I will take away my wool and my flax given to cover her nakedness. Then I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one will rescue her out of my hand. I will put an end to all her gaiety, her feasts, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and her festal assemblies. I will destroy her vines and fig trees, of which she said, These are my wages, which my lovers have given me. I will make them a forest. The beasts of the field will devour them. I will punish her for the days of the Baals, when she used to offer sacrifices to them, and adorn herself with her earrings and jewelry, and follow her lovers, so that she forgot me, declares the Lord." We have this intermingled picture of Hosea's wife Gomer running away from him and God's people Israel running away from him. God says to his people Israel, you want to attribute your prosperity when it comes to grain and livestock and all of these things, you want to attribute it to worshiping the Baals and the Ashtoreth and Dagon and Moloch and all these false gods? I'm going to take all these things away so that you know that it's not from the false gods that you've worshipped, but it came by my hand. Hosea to Gomer, you think the reason that you have fine clothes and that you have jewelry and that you have all of these sorts of things is because of this life of sin that you keep pursuing? I'm going to take you away from it so that you can see that it's not the thing that's providing for you I am. Though all this gives a bleak picture through Hosea's family of God's judgment on Israel, the judgment would not last forever. 
God faithfully loves his faithless people and he will restore them. We see this at the end of chapter 1. Yet the number of the sons of Israel will be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it is said to them, You are not my people, it will be said to them, You are sons of the living God. And the sons of Judah and the sons of Israel will be gathered together, and they will appoint for themselves one leader, and they will go up from the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. There is a day coming when God would restore the people. Those who were not people will once again be my people. We see a glimpse of this. We saw in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 to 10, when we were going through 1 Peter. They would have one leader, and they would have victory. We see this picture in chapter 2, verses 14 through 23. God will again love his people as a husband loves his wife. Therefore, behold, I will allure her, bring her into the wilderness, and speak kindly to her. Then I will give her her vineyards from there, and the valley of Achor as a door of hope, and she will sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. God would allure, God would speak kindly to her, God would give her again gardens and places of beauty. Verse 16, It will come in that day, declares the Lord, that you will call me Ishi, and will no longer call me Bailey. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, so they will be mentioned by their names no more. He says, you will call me husband, not my master, not my Baal. Because we're not going to even talk about or use the name of the pagan gods that you have worshipped, calling your master and your ruler. Instead, he said, you will address me as my husband, not as my master or my Baal. He would tame the wild beasts and end war. It says in verse 18, I'll make a covenant for them with the beast of the field, the birds of the sky, and the creeping things of the ground. I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land, and make them lie down in, safely, in safety. Then he says in verses 19 and 20, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in loving kindness and in compassion, and in faithfulness, then you will know the Lord. The earth will respond to his covenant. It says in that day, I will respond to the heavens. They will respond to the earth. The earth will respond to the grain, to the new wine, and to the oil. They will respond to Jezreel. I will sow her for myself in the land. I will have compassion on her who had not obtained compassion. I will say to those who are not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. The earth will respond to God's word to the purification of the land, in, symbolized by this word Jezreel, he will say to them, you are my people, and they will finally acknowledge and follow after him as their God. And then chapter 3, verses 3 through 5, God will purge his people of their idolatry and then be a husband to them again. Similar picture as we see in chapter 2. Just as Hosea brings Gomer home, and basically says, we are going to be abstinent for a time. You are going to be purified. And then we will be husband and wife again. Verse 3. In the same way, it says the sons of Israel, God would keep his people without any of the things that they had trusted in, any of the things they had run after. Rulers, rituals, idols, all of those things. He would take all of those things away to purify them. And then they would return 
and belong to him wholly in purity, chapter uh, 3, verse 5. Which, as I mentioned before when we were going through Hosea, there are parallels to Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 27, where it talks about the idea that Christ is going to present to himself a church that he has purified by the washing of the water and the ministry of the word. What does this have to do with us? What is Israel's sin pictured in the strange marriage of a prophet to an adulterous woman with kids that end up not being his and him chasing after her time and again? What does that have to do with us today? For all of us, the book of Hosea reveals what God is like. God is faithful. God doesn't love sin. He is not okay with it. But He is faithful and merciful to people who are sinners far longer and far greater than they deserve. And He fervently pursued after His people Israel over and over and over again. Hosea provided a picture for us of God's love. There are many who would have quickly given up on such a person as Hosea's wife. She doesn't deserve me to keep chasing after her. She keeps sinning against me over and over again. What's the point of me pursuing her? Because that's what God's like. When we see what God is like, both in the descriptions of God in these first three chapters and in the way that Hosea acts, it reminds us that we can be confident in God's mercy towards sinners. It's not an excuse for us to sin. It's not a reason to persist in sin. But we can be thankful that God is kind towards sinners and pursues sinners and gives them second chances and third chances and 40th chances. It's also a warning to repent. Why does Hosea bring this message to the people of Israel? Because they were standing on the brink of God's judgment. And this is one of God's final warnings to his people. Turn away from your sin. Turn back to me. Do you realize what it is that you're doing? Do you realize what sort of a God that I am? I don't want to punish you and all of these sorts of things, but your sin and my righteous character compels me to respond. If you don't turn, this is where it's going to go. Repent. That was the message to the original audience in Hosea's day. What about for us here? Not just broadly about what God is like, but what are, how are we supposed to act in light of a passage like this? Maybe you look at something like this and you say, you know what, I am not married and I don't know if I will ever be married. What does this picture have to do with me? God puts us in opportunity to minister to people in relationships that can be difficult relationships, whether it be with family or with friends or with coworkers, 
And there are moments when we are tempted to give up on those relationships and say, what's the point? They're never going to change. It's never going to get better. Why do I keep doing this to myself? Those sorts of ideas. God's character demonstrated in Hosea, whether we're talking about the context of a marriage relationship or some other relationship, you have an opportunity to demonstrate God's character of kindness and forgiveness and mercy over and over again to people who don't deserve it. And God can use that as an opportunity to bring those people to, themse- to himself or to restore them to a right relationship with him if they've been wandering away. Maybe you're 10, 12, 15. You say, I'm not married right now. What does this have to do with me? If you get married someday, you are making a sacred commitment before God in which you need to be willing to pursue your spouse even if they never love you your whole marriage long. Now, it would be wiser for you to marry someone that you're not having to constantly chase after because they don't love you and they don't love God. But once you make that choice and you marry that person, there is a duty and a responsibility that God puts upon you to love that person sacrificially in the way that Hosea did. Obviously, there are situations where a marriage relationship gets incredibly broken by just sinful ways that people behave toward each other. But that has to rise to a very high level scripturally before there is even the beginning of the grounds for the marriage to end, and there is never a requirement for it to do so. Only an option in some cases. And so if you're not yet married, but you think you might be down the road, you need to ask yourself, am I willing to go to the links that Hosea went to in chasing after his wife? Now, by God's grace, it won't be this sort of links that you have to go to, where you have a husband or a wife who's chasing after other people, who is just not doing any of the things you're supposed to do as a husband or a wife. But this can be very basic sorts of things where you say, well, I think I want the person to express love to me this way, and they just don't. Are you going to keep following after and chasing after that person the way Hosea pursued Gomer? For those of us who are currently married, if God loved Israel as a faithless wife in this way, are we called to do less? You and I can come up with all sorts of reasons why your husband or wife's a sinner. And a lot of them could be true. But God loved sinners. God gave himself for sinners. God kept pursuing sinners time and again you and I tend to quit way too easily. Marriage is hard work sometimes, but God sets the example for us to follow.
So whether you are married, not yet married, were married or aren't probably going to be going forward, there are illustrations of the relationships that we have with people around us. Think about broader in the context of the church. You have someone who starts to wander away from God. They start to believe something that's false. They start to just not get along with people at church and have some sort of breach in a relationship for any number of reasons. What does Paul say to people like that? He said, hey, Yodia and Syntyche, quit fighting, get along. When Paul says that to them in his letter, who's supposed to come alongside and admonish them with Paul's words? The people in the church. When there's the man who's committing adultery with his father's wife, his probably his stepmom, in 1 Corinthians 5, and Paul says to the church, hey, expel him from the church, but keep preaching the gospel to him. And then in 2 Corinthians 2, it seems like he comes back, and Paul says, hey, forgive him and welcome him back into the church. Who's the ones that's supposed to be chasing after him until he repents and then welcoming him back in once he does? It's all the people in the church. So there's applications of this aspect of what God is like. The God loves sinners, pursues sinners, seeks restoration of sinners. There's applications of it in all of life whether it be in marriage, whether it be in relationship with siblings, whether it be in the relationship with people in the church, whether it be in relationship with people more broadly in the world. God is faithful over and over and over again. God's people are faithless over and over and over again. But God doesn't give up on his faithless people. And even if he has to go to great lengths to purify them of their sin, he keeps chasing after them until the goal is accomplished so that he can restore them, so that the goal that he's had all along, which is that they would be his people and he would be their God, is accomplished. And that's not just a goal that God was doing with Old Testament Israel. That's a goal that God's doing in our lives. Get over here. Stop going back to that. There's that song, Come Thou Found. It says, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. It says, Bind my heart, Lord, like a fetter so that I stop running away from you. That's the constant pull of sin in our lives, away from God, back to the old way of life. We, we turn from it, we believe in Jesus, we turn away from it the first time, we come over here, we follow after Jesus, and then we start to look back and be like, you know what, I really enjoyed doing that. God grabs us, brings us back over here, don't do that. Fellow church member comes alongside and says, Hey, you know what? It looks like fun, but it'll kill you. Don't do it. 
husband and wife, or husband or wife starts wandering away from God, don't go that way. That way leads to death. Brother or sister, spiritually speaking or physically, starts wandering after sin, don't go that way. That will kill you. Do we have the heart of God to pursue sinners to the point of repentance, to the point of restoration, or are we too lazy, too selfish, too unmotivated that we just say, you know what, I, I tried once and I'm done. I tried for five years and I'm out. I tried for ten years and I'm, I'm giving up. Fifteen years and that's my limit. There are, there are people that I know about that are married 20, 25, 30 years and they're just like, you know what, I'm done. How could you make it that long and be like, this is the point to quit? People will do that in their walk with God. When did you trust Jesus? Oh, about 20 or 30 years ago. Do you believe in him now? No, I'm done. What happened? A faithful God loves his faithless people, which means you and I need to faithfully love faithless people around us. Because this is the story of redemption that God's unfolding in the world. Sinners who don't deserve God's mercy, God shows kindness to, brings them out of death, brings them out of slavery to sin. Sometimes they go back. And just like Hosea in chapter 3, goes back, brings them back out of it, come follow me again. Do we have the character of God? to pursue sinners and see repentance and see restoration? Do we heed the warning of this first part of Hosea that if we're the ones who are the sinners, we've got to turn away from sin and see the deadly position that we're in and come back to God with his grace? Do we collectively have enough love for one another when we see someone strain that we turn him from the error of his ways like it says in the book of James? And save his soul from death. God faithfully loves his faithless people. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see what sort of a God you are. And if we're supposed to be like Christ, Christ loved sinners. Christ saved sinners. Christ intercedes for sinners. The moments when we're the sinners in need of repentance open our eyes, Lord. In the moments when we see someone nearby struggling, help us to have enough love to come alongside and say, hey, 
Come back to God. Help us to see this picture, this illustration. A man whose life was disaster by human standards, but because he was living obediently to you and being an illustration of what you were like. Help us to learn from his example. In Christ's name, amen.